0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Business Chef Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Chef Sean Boucher, and welcome to what I think is a fantastic show. We've got my man, Stuart, here talking about smallwares, about manufacturing, about things that he has spent a lot of time learning about. You know, when you're starting a restaurant or you're starting a food service concept, Buying smallwares and knowing what to buy, what containers, what utensils, all that kind of stuff is important. And so Stuart's going to tell us a little bit about what he knows a lot about. Stuart is the vice president of sales for Cambro, a company that I think we're all probably pretty familiar with. So let's jump in and find out how he got started in this business.
1: Well, thank you, Sean, for inviting me to participate today. Uh, I've actually been in, uh, been in the food service business since the age of 14, and my very first job uh, working in a fast food restaurant uh, as a busboy, and I've found over the years that i uh, really enjoyed uh, being in the food service industry, and uh, the longer I got here, the more I, the more I knew it was going to be my career. I think it's a fantastic uh, industry with a lot of people with great hospitality backgrounds that... Uh, are very serious about doing good professional work and and, uh, also have a lot of fun in the process i've just really enjoyed my uh, my career and it's been uh, 30 plus years in food service uh, working in both the uh, manufacturing distribution and operator side of the business and from having such a an understanding of the market Um, really have been able to to understand how things operate in in the business. But I think more than anything, what's helped me to be successful and get to where I am today is is just being acutely aware of what's going on around me, Uh, paying attention to people and operations and details that are happening either in the office environment, in the manufacturing environment, or in a restaurant operations environment, and um, asking more questions and, and listening really just understanding that the people around me are the ones that are going to teach me about what's happening in our our market. And the more that I can listen and learn, uh, the better off I'm going to be in the long run.
0: So talk a little bit about your background, uh, particularly when it comes to the smallware side of things or the, the equipment side of things. What have you been involved in or what's your background there?
1: So uh, most of my experience has been on the manufacturing side. And so um, my very first job on the manufacturing side was with a company called Pallu's Scale uh, before they were gobbled up by several different conglomerates over the years. Uh, they were Chicago-based uh, independent manufacturer of scales. And so I got involved there as a, a marketing manager, product manager, um, working with new product development, um, doing things like uh, expanding their range from scales into other measuring devices like thermometers and timers, um, working on some new digital portable scales that were developed back in the uh, in the early 90s, and uh, also working on things like cash-and-carry packaging, recognizing that, you know, the cash-and-carry channel was one that, you know, back in the early 90s was really just exploding. And so um, taking some of those small products and putting them in a, you know, quote-unquote consumer-friendly packaging that would help uh, help the products sell themselves off the shelves of our dealer showrooms. From there I got into plastics uh as I moved over to a company called the Continental Silite at the time and uh, that was my first introduction into the plastics, uh smaller space. And um having started my collegiate career as a as a chemistry major, I guess I kind of um felt comfortable in the world of carbon molecules and just really adapted well to to being in plastic space and have enjoyed uh have enjoyed the time that I've been in, in that area as well. Uh I think one of the things I've learned from being with a large manufacturer is getting into different different market spaces. So, you know, during my time at, at, at you know, Continental Silate, who later became Carlisle, uh, learned about uh, about the healthcare space, learned a lot about chains and operations, and, and now in my uh, my five years at Canberra, I've been able to really uh, expand on that with, with the market-leading uh, support that we have with a company like Canberra Manufacturing.
0: It's always very interesting to me to hear about people's backgrounds because, how cool is that a chemistry major? Nice. So obviously you've worked a couple of different places. Why Cambro? Why now?
1: Well, Cambro is a very unique company. We're, we're fortunate in that we have uh, a second generation owner, Argyle Campbell, who um, is really committed to investing uh, into this business more than anyone that I've ever seen in my in my career. Uh, he has been amazingly successful uh, during his leadership tenure at Canberra, growing us to, you know, the market leader in, in plastic smallwares and equipment. And at this point in his career, uh, really invests unimaginable amounts of money into our company to ensure that we have the resources and infrastructure that we need to be successful, uh, for the long term. So whether it's new product development, uh, new manufacturing processes, Uh, expanding our global footprint to uh, include expanded factories in China, Bulgaria, Turkey, and Germany. Um, He's he's just a very innovative uh, entrepreneurial owner that, 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 you know, invests back in the company. And being in that kind of environment is really, really uh, motivating and and exciting for all the employees in the company. We're we're thrilled to be here.
0: You know, it's interesting because Cambro – really is kind of like Google or Tweet or one of those things that has become a verb. Um, A Cambro is essentially a noun in a lot of kitchens. People refer to a lot of their storage containers as Cambros. So talk about some of the things that maybe we're not familiar with, some of the products that are coming out that, uh, that are maybe a little bit different.
1: Well, that's a good point, Sean. You know, we're really fortunate to be working for a company where our customers actually call their products Cambros. So whether it's a, a square foot storage container uh, where, that a chef is going to call a Cambro or an insulated beverage holder that a caterer is going to call a Cambro, uh, we've been able to sort of leverage that brand to, to encompass many other very innovative and unique products. And I would say probably one of the biggest uh, differentiators that we've done is with our range of plastic and composite shelving, you know, taking uh, shelving away from uh, the traditional wire coated or maybe even stainless materials into you know polypropylene coated or full composite uh, posts and and, uh, com- and and the components so that they're going to last forever and never rust. And something that you know Ambro really created some 12 or 14 years ago and has really expanded into it and. Uh, it's really one of our fastest-growing categories. We currently make composite shelving um, on three continents. We do it here in North America. Uh, we have full-pultruded uh, full and injection components made in Germany and Turkey for uh, the European the Middle East region and the same thing in China. So it really gives us a great opportunity with some of the global uh, chains and global uh, operators to have the exact same product manufactured on three continents. Um, in this uh, really exciting composite uh, shelving. One of the areas that we've been able to leverage that is, in particular, um, an operational issue that we're all familiar with, and that's called wet sacking. And certainly, you know, in your healthcare space, Sean, I'm sure you come across that on a regular basis where, you know, our healthcare operators need to be able to vertically organize and dry their trays, kitchen equipment, smallwares, utensils, uh, because we, as we know, water is a great uh, transporter of bacteria, so we need to make sure that everything stays dry. And so, Campbell has done a good job of developing a bunch of accessories and and uh, add-on pieces for our shelving but turns them into drying racks and, and organized organizational tools for the dishroom.
0: Some very very cool stuff. Um, you know, as I as we're sitting here talking, I'm really thinking to myself, okay. Here's a great opportunity to tap into a dude who knows what he's talking about. What is it that we as operators or we as owners or whoever that, you know, say we're going to open our own food service concept and we are going to spend our own money. We're going to go all out. How do we, or what do we look for? What principles or what techniques or what? What standards are we looking for when we buy equipment? Are there certain principles to take into account or certain things to stay away from? Give me your take on that.
1: Well, I would say the first thing to look for really is um, understanding if you're dealing with someone who's actually a manufacturer of a product or someone who is just importing or sourcing sort of made-to-order from other companies. Um, I can tell you from my years of experience that, you know, there's a level of, that comes from being the actual manufacturer of the product. And um, so you can really make sure that you're getting the right product for the right application, particularly when it comes to plastic. Obviously, you know, Canberra primarily in the plastic space, uh, and we use upwards of 10 different plastic resins for our different products. And so understanding, you know, the, the, the attributes, physical attributes of the different resins so that you can make sure to, to choose the right product for the right application is very, very important. You know, as we train people on sort of the, you know, the basics of plastic, uh, resins, you're always going to find that for every positive attribute in a product, there's typically a corresponding negative attribute. So depending on the particular application, you want to make sure that you're maximizing the, the positive attributes of a given resin and minimizing the negative attributes. And so that's one of the things where, you know, as an expert in the field, you can really go into a, to an operational facility and recognize you know temperature ranges, uh, potential chemical hazards. You know, oh, using low temp or high temp dish machines, things like that that can really translate into you know changing how we might specify a particular product for that application.
0: You know, you're out there quite a bit. You you're in facilities. You're working with chains. I mean, you kind of have your your finger on the pulse of things, and you bring up a lot of really good points in that when it comes to looking at smallwares and things, but. I'm sure that because you're out there, you see a lot of stuff. You probably see a lot of bad, a lot of things that people are not doing right, or a lot of things that they could be doing a lot better. So I'm curious, what are some of the things that you're seeing that people are doing that they really shouldn't be doing in regards to purchasing and or specifying product? And what are some ways that they can maybe not do that?
1: Well, Sean, one of the things that we've developed uh, at Fambro is a a program that we call store-safe analysis, and it's a consultative process where we go in and do an assessment of a facility's food handling operation. And effectively, we follow the food from the back of the house where it arrives from the produce purveyor, follow it through the entire operation from receiving to prep to storage to uh, actual we putting the food on the plate and bringing it back again. And some of the things that we see again and again in that process are, uh, you know, not taking the time to take uh, fresh produce out of the corrugated box that's delivered in, putting it into, you know, polycarbonate storage containers for safe storage in the walk-in or dry storage. Uh, another really common thing we come across is, you know, people using either plastic film or or metal foil uh, to cover their containers in the walk in and, you know, we found through independent research and, uh, with some outside parties that using the right seal CO cover can actually extend the shelf life of food by up to three days. So, you know, think about food cost being one of the largest controllable spends in an operation. If you can figure out a way to get three extra days of shelf life from your fresh produce and vegetables, um, that's a pretty meaningful dollar value to an operator that can, can make the difference between profitability and not. And so those are a couple of things that we look at. We also, you know, like you said, when we get into this area, we're looking for wet stacking. We're looking to make sure that everything is organized, cleanly dried, cleanly identified. And, uh, you know, when we look in the uh, on the kitchen line, we're actually preparing food. You know, do we have everything in either uh, food-safe temperatures from a cold perspective or from a hot perspective? You know, we find very regularly that where well, people will will definitely have their hot food in the bain-marie and safely above 140. Uh, many times they'll have their cold their ingredients and cold accessories in an ice bath. And you know, the ice bath typically is going to struggle to keep 40 degrees or colder. So we'll look for ways to incorporate some tactic products or some you know, portable refrigeration to make sure that we're getting those safe temperatures across all of the different components of the operation.
0: So I'm curious how that works. I mean, is it you that goes and does these assessments or is it a, a team of people or certain designated individuals? How does that work?
1: Well, we have a group of trained assessors that do the store assessments. assessments. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is that we actually don't let our sales reps do assessments because we don't want it to be a sales process. And we were afraid that if we had our independent sales reps doing these assessments, that they wouldn't be disciplined enough to keep it. Um, just on a consultative basis, and they'd be always trying to to sort of sell people on certain things. And so we have a handful of about six uh, management people across the country that are trained to do assessments. And what we do is we put together an evaluation uh, at the end of our work, which is basically a documentation of what we see without really uh, – we make recommendations on the ways that could be addressed, but there's no specific – um, recommendation on you really should be doing this and you know one of the things we're trying to guard against and, and I've seen this happen you know oftentimes if we get invited to do an assessment will be the one that has to, has to escort us through his kitchen and he'll oftentimes say you know how are you going to come into my kitchen and tell me you know something that I don't already know and, and our point is that we're not going to tell you what to do we're going to come in with a fresh set of eyes and we're going to document what we see and we're going to prepare a great report for you that shows everything we see with some Potential ways that you might be able to fix it and if you'd like to get into more detail and find a way to Put together some specific plans on how we can address them We're happy to come back, you know at a later date and, and make it more of a of a sales call If you will but in the beginning is very very much a consultative evaluation and, and basically we're documenting what we see And it's been a, It's been a very fun and interesting uh, process to work through our customers
0: well I mean, it sounds very interesting, and I, I think there's a lot of value that can be had from this. I think people should definitely take advantage of it if they haven't or if if they just don't know about it. This is definitely something I think that would be of huge value to people, um, especially since it's not a sales call and it's not a high-pressure sale. So how do people get a hold of you or how do they go about getting one of these? Well,
1: certainly they can reach out really quickly to me at any time. I'd be happy to get them into the right uh, contact of a person that could perform an assessment for them. Uh, they can reach me at Canberra. It's uh, my, my direct line is seven one four two three zero four three eight seven, 230 4387 or you can email me at sharp at com. But well, we actually have specialists by market segment that are trained to do assessments depending on the sector. So we have... uh you know, different specialists for healthcare because obviously the operational concerns in the healthcare environment are a little different than say a chain restaurant. Um, we also have uh, specialist education salespeople that, that are very comfortable in the K through 12 or higher ed space. And so they do specialized assessments in those areas as well. And so I'd be happy to uh, put someone into contact with those folks to schedule an assessment for your specific area. We'd be happy to do it at any
0: time. Some very cool stuff, indeed. Well, thank you for your time today. You're a busy dude and we're excited to have you and and incredibly grateful for you giving of your time. Last question, if you have any advice for either the up-and-coming culinary generation or maybe those who are looking to improve their careers, what is that advice?
1: I think the the first piece of advice I I would give them is to really understand your passion understand what gets you excited. Um, you really can't train for passion. Um, if you're someone that loves food service, that loves the industry, that that you know maybe has a great culinary background and loves food, but maybe the hours of being a chef kind of wear you out if you want to find some other way to, to be successful in food service. You know, understand that there are a lot of channels in our business that that, that not everyone really understands. But if you love food, you love people, you love hospitality you know that's a great foundation to start and figure out your your niche within within the food service space. Um, there are all types here. There are creative people, you know, from a design perspective, they're designing kitchens and and cafeteria spaces. There are you know, as you know, chefs, the creative types from the culinary background doing doing the the menu development and, and the food side. But then you know you've also got more technical people from a Product development, or maybe it's uh, product specification, or even you know things like aftermarket service. So there's so many components to food service that I think if you're if you're someone that really does have a passion for food and hospitality, uh, it's a great industry to be in. Um, I feel like it's it's very much different from other industries where we're very much you know high touch, low tech. Um, it's, it's an industry where someone with a you know, a unique ability to communicate and listen and learn can really make a great difference and have a heck of a career, so I, I highly recommend
0: it. Awesome advice. Good, good things from a very good man. Thank you again for your time.
1: Chef, sure, thank you so much for inviting me to participate. I will look forward to our future contact. Can't wait. Thanks.
0: Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your